Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where from the period of time of March 2021 through June 2022, I interviewed 182 founders, executives, entrepreneurs, artists, and authors from over 50 different countries and built a global audience in 165 countries while posting and producing my podcast at the Irish Tech News platform. Since then, I realized there's a lot of incredible content in the interviews that I had and my interviews with thought leadership podcast interviews that had amazing gems, amazing gems from um, all the guests that I was able to interview. And so I've chosen and decided to create the uh, Crypto Hipsters Chronicles series, which is a series of the gems, the, the little tiny pieces from each of the interviews that I had in the areas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, metaverses, NFTs, regulatory issues in crypto globally, art, and you name it across the wide spectrum of different verticals in blockchain and crypto industry and in fintech and mobility and sustainability as well. Uh, these are about 15 minutes long, each uh, chronicle, and has three, four, or five different segments from different interviews. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned a lot. And if you'd like to um, listen to the full podcasts, they are available online at both the Irish Tech News um, and on Anchor. And uh, in a future date, will be available on the Crypto Hipsters station as well. So please enjoy and uh, talk to you soon. Chronicles episode 18, achieving global sustainability goals through Bitcoin mining and community coins. Today's compilation includes three interviews with Tad Piper of Compute North, Greg Magershack from Intercoin, and Shalom Asiata from ESCA. Enjoy. I want to ask along the lines of one more thing. I want to ask do a, a fact or fi fact versus fiction session, right? Um, the following the media says, of course. The following energy consumption sources are a cleaner sources of energy than Bitcoin. They say this, um, and I want to get a take on each one. Oil and gas, coal, solar, wind, and geothermal. What are your thoughts? I'm not sure I follow entirely the logic behind that. I mean, Bitcoin is not a source of energy, it is a user of energy, and it, incre and it increasingly is being matched with renewable energy sources in fact i think it has a higher percentage of renewable energy source use than almost any other industry um, just because candidly because it's been about in the last 10 years and we've seen a massive increase in renewable energy across that um, the other color i would add to that is is that variable demand allows older carbon-based infrastructure to serve the needs 
of a rapidly evolving grid. So let me just touch on that for 10 seconds here. Yes, please. A combined cycle gas plant was not designed to react in real time to changes in the grid. That's what peaker plants are for. You put a Bitcoin mine between and essentially the ability to, to variableize your power usage much more rapidly, it effectively extends the life and usefulness of older, older um, power, power assets and facilities. And I appreciate that everybody would like to get to the end game as fast as possible with everything being renewable. The reality is, is that the power sector, you know, what we always say is we sit between the intersection of the cryptocurrency market where a week is a year and the, and the power market where it moves in, you know, five and 10 year cycles. Um, and so Bitcoin offers a very um, flexible resource, if you will, to partner up to help with that transition, which will take place over the next five, 10 plus years on the power side. So I don't know if I entirely got, I don't know who was fact or fiction. I would, I guess I would say fact to answer your question. Okay. So it's clearance versus okay. energy, but, um, but uh, how is Bitcoin going to be useful in that transition of the power grid infrastructure? It's a non-mission critical compute application. So it has the ability to be curtailed because of the nodal response that we spent much of the last 15 to 20 minutes talking about. So I think it, it, it has the ability to match intermittent supply with intermittent demand on the power side, and therefore is a very, very valuable early adopter in that space. I believe that other computing functions will come rapidly on the heels of that. But as we've seen, pretty much by definition, people in the Bitcoin market are early adopters. Right? They're, they're willing to, 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 to search out and, and find new opportunities. And that's what the sector has needed, the power sector has needed. I think they will find fast followers in the form of other computing. Um, but I, you know, I think in a lot of ways, Bitcoin miners are, a, are an early asset to this transition. And the world needs all kinds and the world is built by entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of Bitcoin miners fall firmly into that category and have helped this transition just like they have throughout history. So talking about rolling out, talking about, you know, things on a, on a social network level, you know, um, moving up to looking at our society and looking at the potential of, you know, cryptos using or blockchain be, being applied to smart cities or to cities in general. What is your view on um, complementary currencies for at the city level for cities? I think they're very, very necessary. And unfortunately, the solutions that we have today, uh, you know, from mayors and other politicians are only thinking about the last year's technology, right? Um, like by analogy, like Bernie Sanders wanted to make college tuition free, right? Mm -hmm. It's a great idea to have everyone educated with higher education, but why not use that money to help make massive online courses that are free why not make something that you could easily scale to millions of people 
and college is so scarce that even celebrities were caught, you know, trying to bribe uh, way into college for their kids. And these celebrities are very well off. Why do they, it's so scarce. It creates this scarcity. So today's politicians are looking to do like a universal basic income. Many, there's dozens of mayors now around the, the United States who want to do a UBI. And we've seen the need to send money to people with this pandemic. You know, we, we've seen many countries, especially the United States, you know, had stimulus payments go out a few times and they've helped businesses. But look at how this is happening. The stimulus payment was, the rollout was really tough because there was no mechanism uh, to just deliver money so easily. And, you know, a lot of people fell through the cracks and it took a long time. And uh, if a city tries to do this, it will be um, even worse for a different reason because the city is trying to give out the UBI in cash, in federal dollars. Now think about that. There's a reason why no city has done it. There's dozens of cities. There's a lot of people who want to do it. Why have they only done the pilot programs with 50 people? And it's been years. Why? Because, you know, and by the way, the pilot programs, they change the U is supposed to be universal basic income. It's not universal if you have 50 people. Um, so they change the U to say unconditional basic income. So, yeah, there's no conditions. You get the money. But what about the universality of it? So here's the thing. Andrew Yang is running for New York City, right? Uh, mayor, and he may win, and he may try to do a UBI. And he's already said that UBI is going to be about five bucks a day, and it won't even be for all New Yorkers. It will just be for some of them. Five bucks a day is not nothing. But what if there was a New York coin, a coin that would only circulate inside New York City or New York State? And you don't have to enforce that, just like you don't have to post guards outside of the casino, because people won't carry massive amounts of chips outside of the casino that's just irrational because it's hard to liquidate them or get them get use them to pay for anything outside of the further you go from the casino so the ability to have your own currency creates a sort of a huge sustainability uh, positive reinforcement spiral basically you know people have this coin which they can only spend in the city so they go and they support local businesses then local businesses turn around and try to spend this coin and pay local employees instead of trying to outsource it to other people, instead of trying to, you know, buy, source their uh, upstream materials uh, out of the city, they're going to support local farmers, local uh, suppliers, and so on. So having your own coin makes every participant in the coin try to pull people into the community rather than what happens now, which is that they're trying to give out this cash and then people are just going to spend it on Robinhood, Amazon, eBay, you know, buy cryptos. And guess what? That city has just lost a lot of money. So they need to give out the UBI in their own coin and then they can use that coin. They can kickstart the economy by accepting it for city taxes, city services, buses, transportation, tolls, anything and everything that the you know, city can set in motion. Before you know it, the businesses are using it. People are paying their piano teachers in, in this coin. And the city can then manage the coin democratically and they can see how the coin is being spent. And, and you know what? It helps the city. I'm going to say this one last thing about that. In Detroit, the city went bankrupt, uh, you know, and, and, and they had to restructure the whole thing. Think about that. 
what happened is that they ran out of federal dollars. There's a plumber somewhere in Detroit who could have fixed the leak, but there was not enough money to pay this plumber. So they stayed home and didn't fix the leak. Think about that. If there was a Detroit coin, they could plug the hole in their economy with Detroit coin. So the plumber would get Detroit coin knowing that they can spend it on local food, local piano teachers, local whatever. That's the idea of Intercoin, helping stronger economies. And I think even China in their provinces would welcome something like that because Intercoin is not about speculation on markets and trying to get a Lambo. It's about helping communities to create sustainable and stronger economies, smart economies, and then have the people see how that money is actually flowing around and uh, make decisions in a transparent uh, and accountable way instead of having people spend it on pork projects and all kinds of crap that is sometimes unaccountable. They say mistakes were made and then the new administration comes in and does more of it. So that's what Intercoin tries to do is put the power in the hands of the people by creating accountable and transparent uh, money supplies. You came in with the and during the ICO days. I did. I did, yeah. You had to bring up coffee and you had to bring up Africa and now I gotta talk to you about it. <laughs> so um, <laughs> man. One of the most brutal ICO projects was called Crypto Cafe. I was put on the team as an advisor and I didn't know any better. And I got off of it almost immediately, but not before some damage happened. Um Vietnamese team said they had a project for coffee makers to, in, to help the coffee growers. Um, I still went out. They got a whole bunch of Vietnamese people to invest their life savings. The team was not in Africa. The team was not in Vietnam. The team behind it was four women in the UK who hid behind those teams and walked away with millions for themselves. Um, and, um, you know, I got out in time, but not, but I also got on Telegram and watched people crying because they lost their life savings. One of the things that I discovered during that project was that there was a lot of there's a lot of knife fighting on the ground in Nigeria between the growers and the producers and all that. Um, so how do we help those people who are actually doing the growing and the knife fighting for survival to be enriched and you know benefit from platforms like yours? This is, this, I think, this question is fantastic, but it surpasses the crypto industry. This goes now into social, political, economic structures, okay? I can sit here and talk to you about this all day. And, and actually, my operations lead, he's the, he, this is, this is his, his zone, right? But, but the simplest way to put this is that that will not change, right, until the governments Okay, controlling the land that these people are producing on, step in to make sure that the security for producers is just as high as for those exporting and selling the goods. Okay, but the reason why that will not happen is because, again, food is a low profit margin business, and for these governments who are quite largely, you know, and again, this is going to go into a whole conspiracy theory, political issues, blah, 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 who are controlled by um, some of the world's largest economic, 
you know, um, 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 powers do not have any incentive to help them. There is no incentive to help them. An example of this was two years ago, I believe it was Sweden and Ghana. So Ghana is the biggest exporter of chocolate to Sweden. Um, I think, no, sorry, opposite way around. Sweden is the biggest importer of chocolate from Ghana. Okay. Uh, how all of this is underpinned and all of these transactions are underpinned is via the U.S. dollar. Obviously, Ghana does not use the U.S. dollar as their national fiat currency. So about a year or two ago, um, I think this was a, a year into the reign of one of, of their new presidents. Forgive me, I can't, I don't know any of the names, um, so I can't give you any of those. But if you Google this, you'll find this. You know, Ghana basically put a stop to the Swedish chocolate trade in Ghana because they said, if you are going to buy our chocolates, you are going to do so in our currency. What does that do? That gives the Ghanaian government more power and more leverage into how these trades are done. And it also empowers their own internal fiat currency and obviously boosting their own internal economy. Now, until decisions like that are made across a lot of these producer third world nations, nothing is going to change. Because now what's going to happen in Ghana is that the Ghanaian government are going to have more oversight on the production and the exportation of these goods rather than, you know, mercenaries a lot of the time and, you know, just bad people getting into these businesses, offering the producers higher valued currency, which in, in, in theory is still a lot, a lot smaller than what they are going to get from selling these goods and actually allowing that whole system to operate more efficiently. That's what needs to happen. And personally, you know, I think until that starts to happen again in countries like Nigeria, I don't see anything changing in these producer nations. You know, I, I just don't. And I would love to have a chat with somebody who can, you know, either prove me wrong or tell me, you know, show a, a perfect way to this, you know, United Nations goal. Because I genuinely, that is not, that is not a feasible goal. <laughs> it's not.